Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates It's a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho Murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Hey, Keely. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Heard It on the Sidelines. Heard It. Heard It on the Sideline with Shotgun Spratly. Spratly. Welcome to another edition of the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast with Shotgun Sprattling. Thanks again to Keely and Chris for the intro, and thanks to everyone that's returning to listen. For our newbies joining us for the first time, the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast is a part of the Pear-style podcast family. It's the podcast where we discuss what's going on at USC, but also try to pull back the curtain a little bit to give you an insider's perspective from the people around the USC athletic programs. On today's episode, we'll be talking a little bit about baseball, but even more so, we're going to be diving into the life of a Division I student athlete. You know, it's a little bit different this episode, so I want to start with my two positives and a negative. Since we're talking USC baseball, the positive so far through two weeks of the season has been the pitching. The pitching has been really strong. Got a 2.93 team ERA. Starters Isaac Escueda and Chandler Champlain have allowed two earned runs each in their two starts so far. You got veteran lefties Brian Gursky and Quentin Longry coming out of the bullpen. They're averaging at least a strikeout per inning. And you got some young guys that have been really strong. You're talking about Nate Clow. You're talking about Jaden Agassi. Those guys have been really good for them in their first opportunities on the mound as well. And the depth should get even better with the Trojans adding back some of the players that were initially suspended from campus by the school for breaking COVID protocols, including a couple pitchers that will be in there that should be getting some innings once they're cleared by the coaching staff to get back on the mound as well. Another positive, my second positive, is getting the table setters going. And by that, I mean leadoff hitter Rylan Thomas. You know, he started the season one for 16 through the first four games, but on Saturday, he had a home run against Cal Poly, and then on Sunday, he had four hits to lead the Trojans. So getting him going is very important for the offense to be able to, to open things up for those big boppers in the middle of the lineup. And then right behind him, you got Tyrese Turner, who reached base in all three games this weekend and multiple times uh, on, on a couple of those days as well. So, you know, if you can get those two guys going, they're both very athletic, can steal some bases, can hit and run, you can do some different things when they get on base. So it's important to get them going, and they were able to do that this weekend. So I think that's a very positive sign for USC going forward. Now the negative. USC is only 3-3 three and three so far. You know, started, they had a series win over LMU, a kind of a split series where they played two of the games at Dado and one of the games at LMU's field, Page Stadium. But then this past weekend, they hosted Cal Poly and lost that series 2-1. to one. Now, it was, a, it was a tight series. You know, a couple of the games were, were really tight there, but USC, you know, couldn't find a way to win that series. And one of the issues for them right now is that they're fielding at a 950 clip. They're averaging more than two errors per game. Now, that's not too unexpected considering they've barely been on a field for the last year, but it's something that has to be cleaned up quickly. And that's something that they got to take care of that. That's one of the big issues for them right now. They're pitching well. They're, they've got some hitters that are doing really well. they got to clean up the fielding. Can't give those extra extra bases, those extra opportunities to teams, You know, especially 
they got some big games coming up this weekend against Pepperdine, Cal State Fullerton, and that team across the way, UCLA, who entered the season number two overall. So we'll see where the Trojans are at after this weekend. I think they're only going to continue to get better as they get those those extra reps because, like I said, they've barely been on the field for the last year. So you know, th- there's going to be some some growing pains, especially from some of those young guys early in the season. Now look. If you're just looking for strictly on-field evaluation and analysis, this won't be your favorite podcast episode. But what we're talking about this week is an interesting and important segment of college athletic that it deserves discussion. Part of the reason why I started the Heard on the Sidelines podcast was to give you guys the unheard and unseen moments that occur in college sports. Talking about the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, behind closed doors, you know, stuff that happens during the week before game day on Saturday. While we see their performances on the field or the court, we don't always take the time to find out about players outside the lines. One of the things I think is a fascinating topic right now is, you know, what's it like to be a D1 student athlete in this current era of social media, social justice, and just finding your place in a world that is connected as it's ever been, but can also be more isolated than it's ever been before. When it came to USC baseball, the first person I thought could really shed some light on the topic was fifth-year senior John Thomas. He's a very thoughtful young man with some different interests than you might expect. He went to Harvard-Westlake High School where he was baseball teammates and good friends with St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Jack Flaherty, though Thomas isn't quite old enough to have played on the Harvard-Westlake team that you might hear about a little bit more frequently, the one that featured Flaherty, Atlanta Braves starter Max Freed, and Chicago White Sox pitcher Lucas Giolito, quite possibly the best high school pitching rotation you'll ever see. But John Thomas isn't just friends with baseball players. He's good friends with Juju Smith-Schuster, even though the two barely overlapped at USC. And another of Thomas's really good friends is former Trojans wide receiver Valus Jones. The two couldn't come from more different parts of the country with Harvard-Westlake and Sarah Land, Alabama, but they became quick friends and later roommates at USC. You know, along with playing first and third base for the baseball team, John's the diversity officer on the Trojan Athletics Senate. He's also on a subcommittee that focuses on empowering the women of Troy female student-athletes. He's got a background and an interest in fashion design, and he's previously created some unique designs that have sold really well online. Basically, he's just an interesting cat. So I kind of got interested in, in JT, you know, his, his background, his story back before the pandemic, you know, back in the bygone pre-pandemic era. You know, one of the things I like to do then was, was regardless of sport, was to go down the field during pregame and chat with players and coaches during their downtime. Maybe that's when there's special teams on the field first or during the early basketball shoot-around or when the opposing team's taking bat in practice. It's an opportunity to check in on people, kind of shoot the breeze, and just get to know people a little bit more outside of a structured interview. You know, I was down by the dugout last year, and I noticed that John had a name written on his wrist tape. This wasn't I Heart Mom or anything like that. This was Emmett Till. That was the name that he had. The young African-American boy was brutally murdered in Mississippi in 1955, a reprehensible event that became a catalyst for the civil rights movement. You know, I saw that and I was like, whoa, that's, that's a very heavy name to can evoke a lot of emotion. I've got to know more about this. So, you know, I started talking with JT and, you know, I learned about his reasoning behind the risk tape, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And, you know, his take on some of the issues that plague our communities and our nation, you know, just find out a little bit more about him, you know, and became very intrigued about, you know, kind of his thought processes and everything. And hey, this might enrage some of you that want athletes to be robot performers, but to me it's fascinating to find out what motivates people, what drives them, what do they care about away from the field as well as on it. 
And I thought it was intriguing that JT was interested in social justice topics even prior to the pandemic and all the civil unrest, the illumination of so many issues that took the national stage later in 2020. This was all before that. You know, it told me a lot about him as a person that this college athlete was one, you know, conscious of the world around him when many 18 to 22 year olds can be so consumed with worrying about their own bubble of college life and their grades and the party or whatever it may be. And two, that he was willing to show it and you know have it on display, you know his concerns in some fashion. Now, I was hoping to have the opportunity to do a story on Thomas later in the season when he came up with a big hit or some other heroics for a USC baseball team last season. You know, they were off to a great start under first-year head coach Jason Gill, but alas, you know, 2020 going to 2020, the pandemic struck. The college baseball season was quickly canceled, and you know that that opportunity kind of disappeared into the wind. But when I started this podcast, JT was one of the people I knew I wanted to have come on and talk about his interests off the diamond. Don't fret. We're also going to talk about some baseball and some of the challenges created in the last year by the pandemic from having his senior year canceled, you know, deciding whether to, you know, to pay to come back and play because college baseball, those guys aren't on full ride scholarships like some other sports. So, you know, did he want to come back and play? And how different have things been this season with all the different COVID protocols and different things they've had to go through? Let's bring in our guest this week, USC 50-year senior John Thomas. Welcome to the show, JT. Thanks for thanks for joining us and, and jumping on the, the podcast this week. I appreciate you having me, Shotgun. You guys are off to a 3-3 three and three start. It's been a really weird offseason, you know, trying to figure out and be able to get out there for fall practice, to be able to get in, the, in for spring practice. What, what's the beginning of the season been like for you guys, being able to get back on campus, one, but also to, to be able to get back on the field after this, this weird offseason and this weird layoff that, that's happened? Uh, I can't even put it into words, man. After, uh, you know, we, we were essentially – locked up in in our respective homes around the country for uh for a while trying to do our part um in the pandemic and and you know um we just kept hearing from coach Gill like it, the, the time will come you know we never really knew when it was going to be but it was going to come and and here we are full swing two weeks into the season it feels great to be back out there it feels good to have um a routine established it feels great to be able to compete um against somebody else you know we had a couple couple weeks in December and then a couple weeks in January and then it was go time um obviously it's really different than your typical fall ball schedule which we didn't have any of but not much we can do about that so we're here now and you know we're ready to go what's been the biggest difference you know being able to to get back on the field now from you know when you started last season I guess or any of the you know any of the first seasons that you've been at USC what's been the biggest difference as far as you know going through the daily process and getting to the field before you know the the first pitch is thrown personally you know on a game day I have a a pretty down to the minute schedule um this year it's it's a little different because there's restrictions on when you can be in certain facilities and when you can't be so there's definitely you know, a little bit more um, downtime uh, before games um, in the morning leading up to when it's time to go to the field because, you know, I'm used to being in the training room early, getting the pregame lift in, um, all that stuff versus now it's kind of like, you know, you only go there when it's time to report for stretch. So I would say the the biggest difference is, is kind of managing the time before the games you just got to figure it out. I mean, every, you know, we're still getting used to it. We've only had six games, so I'm still getting used to mm. uh, having a less, I'll say less regimented kind of game day leading up to going to the field. 
I, I know fans kind of look at it and they see the results on the field. They always look at you know the the football team. Did they win or lose? That's what they want to know. But how how straining has this been as a as a student athlete trying to go through a pandemic, trying to to figure out how things are going to work when there's been so many unknowns along the way? You know, how have you been able to to put together? Finishing off your degree for one, congratulations on that. But then to 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 be back and to try to to try to go through and find some normalcy on the field when it's really not normal anymore. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it's it's definitely been difficult. You know, <laughs> it's hard, it's, especially now. It's a lot of isolation with the season starting. Nobody, you know, none of us want to be the guy that. Uh, God forbid, test positive for the virus, and and it kind of shuts everything down for everybody else. So it's just tough. It's it's a lot of isolation. Um, my family's just across town. I don't really feel comfortable going to see them. And like, <laughs> I miss my friends, man. Like, I got <laughs> you know friends outside of USC athletics that you know wherever a lot of them have been out of town um, the last few months with their seasons. And now they're back and I don't feel like I can, I can go see them um, just because I feel, you know, the responsibility to be, to be safe and, and keep this, this uh, journey that we got going, keep it going. Yeah. How difficult is it? I mean, you know, when I was playing baseball, we didn't have a spring break. We never had that. That was never something. So you see all your friends going and partying and having fun. You're like, man, that looks like fun. I wish I could be a part of that, but I've got a different responsibility. How different has it been during uh, the pandemic when you see, you know, see some friends that are able to to go out and, and do some different things that obviously you can't do because you're trying to, to be as safe as possible. And like you said, keep anyone from testing positive so that, you know, there's not that shutdown. Yeah. You know, it's definitely, Obviously, we have different responsibilities. It's definitely been, you know, difficult. But at the same time, um, this is what we signed up for. Mm. And the university, I think, as well as most universities, have been really receptive to anyone who chooses to opt out due to safety concerns or whatever their reasoning may be. So we do have that option. So, you know, I kind of look at it as like, this is what I signed up for. So there would be no uh, no hard feelings for me you know, about not being able to do something because I'm in season, just because, like I said, like, this is where I want to be. And, you know, when I going into it, we, we all understood the sacrifices that we have to make. Is it fun to finally be back on campus and be with your teammates some? I mean, to begin with, I think in December, you guys were a little bit in pods and still being separated and whatnot, but now to finally be back in the whole group and have that team environment. Absolutely. It's, it's great. It's, a little bit um restricted we don't you know we can't sit around in the locker room and and talk like we usually do mm-hmm. um but being on the field you know just being able to be around so many guys in a way that the university's done a great job in making it feel safe for the athletes not necessarily that we're in some kind of bubble like the WNBA or the NBA was but in our own sense um we're really only around each other so it you know it feels safer than it would going to I'm not going to a park and playing a pickup game with a bunch of other buddies. So, so what was it like at the beginning? You know, Coach Gill comes to you guys and tells you that the season's going to be canceled, no more games. You're a senior. You know, what, what's kind of going through your mind when you hear that that the season's over, and then the process where it eventually comes out that the, you guys are going to be granted an extra year of eligibility. You know, what was the, kind of the process in, at the beginning of the pandemic? going through finding out that your season's canceled and then eventually finding out that you'll have an extra year if you want it. Right. It was a lot of uncertainty at first, you know, the day almost a year ago now that we all got called into 
into the facilities and told that season was over. That was that was a tough one. I mean, there was a, a lot of tears in that locker room that day. And then we're kind of in limbo for a little bit as far as the future. And then thankfully the NCAA made the right call and and given this group of athletes another year of eligibility. And uh, when they did that, I kind of prepped my you know choices for that to be the case. So I, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to find a one-year grad program that would work for me and my interests outside of the field at USC specifically. You know, it was kind of a little bit of a scramble the next couple of weeks. I think I had to take the GRE. Like the deadline was a week from the day I found out I had to take it. So I studied <laughs> real hard for like four days and then took it. Um, luckily, I did well enough on it to to get uh, admitted into the into the program I'm in now. Um, yeah, that's kind of how it went. One of the things with baseball is obviously there's very few people that are on full full ride uh, scholarships. So a lot of guys are scrapping together and trying to figure out how they're going to pay for a school as well each each individual year. So you have your senior year canceled of baseball. You decide to come back. You know what was that decision like? Deciding that hey, I've got to pay for another year of college at USC, which obviously the the tuition bill continues to rise at USC. Yeah, so early on in the process, um, I sat down with my parents and had a, an honest conversation with them, and and I'm lucky enough to have two parents who, you know, they what they want to do is fully support me in whatever I want to do. So I told them, look, I feel like I have more to give to this university and this athletic department. So if if there's a program that works for me academically and, and my interests outside of baseball, um, you know, I want to go for it. And we were able to find this specific program that. It works for me. It's cheaper than a normal year of tuition. It's a graduate certificate program. Mm. So uh, it worked out, and you know we went for it. You talk about finding something that works for you outside of baseball. Unfortunately, you haven't had the success you probably expected when you arrived at USC. You know, every, every D1 baseball player shows up and, and wants to be three and out, get drafted after their junior year, and be on their way to start in the MLB. But you've, you've been able to find success in other avenues at USC. Give us a little insight into what that USC degree means to you and maybe the connections that you've been able to make that have made it worthwhile to become a Trojan. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I, I came in, you know, I wanted to be a big leaguer when I was a freshman at SC. Uh, I think like, you know, like you said, every other freshman division one baseball player, you know, I was lucky enough to meet just a, a, a wide range of people. As soon as I got to SC, I think, you know, I love the guys on the team, but I think my, my closest friends are, you know, they weren't baseball players and I was able to branch out to athletes from other sports, non-athletes. And, and there's some really impressive people here at USC. I think the biggest thing for me has been just getting to know people outside of the background that I grew up in, because in high school, it was uh, at Harvard Westlake, you know, all these kids from LA, it was an expensive school. So every family had a pretty wealthy financial background. And that's not the case obviously at SC uh, with, with the opportunity for, for scholarships and stuff like that. So, so just getting to know people that came from different backgrounds than me um, just really allowed me to do my best to gain a deeper understanding for, for you know, kind of who deals with what different things on a daily basis. And one of those is your former roommate, Valus Jones Jr., came over from Saraland, Alabama, much different than, than uh, Harvard-Westlake in, in L.A., 
What was kind of the dynamic like with you two guys living together? Uh, it was uh, it was amazing. Um, I met Valus really early on freshman year. We have very different personalities. He's super easygoing, uh, very outgoing and loving and stuff like that. You know, I'm a little more reserved. Well, I'm not I'm not really sure how we clicked so quickly, but we did. I think the first time we ever met, I was hanging out with another one of his buddies and we were watching some Animal Planet documentary um, and we both share a deep love for animals and nature and stuff like that. So we bonded over that. And then that was freshman year, junior year. We started living together for two and a half years or so. It was great. He, You know, great roommate. I couldn't ask for anything more. Super clean, super fun, um, you know, everything you want in a roommate. Obviously, he left as a graduate transfer going to play at Tennessee and will play for them again this year. We wish him the best there. But you mentioned Valus and meeting people outside your sport during a graduation speech you gave this year. You were actually asked to be one of the speakers for the USC Athletes grad ceremony. In that speech, you also mentioned Kobe Bryant. I know you're a big Kobe fan. What what has he meant to you as a Southern California athlete, and what did you take away from Kobe Bryant's legacy as a Laker? You know, growing up growing up in L.A. as as a kid with sports dreams in general, uh, I didn't know what sport it was when I was a kid, obviously, but just any, you know, I love sports. I knew I wanted to do one of them. Kobe was, like, Kobe was Los Angeles. Like, there's no other, there's no other way to put it. I mean, you know, you, you couldn't talk about Los Angeles sports without talking about Kobe and just, you know, seeing him win and just the, the transformation of his career was, it, it was, it was incredible to me. And I think, you know, I kind of saw a parallel in the fact that late in his career, he started to embrace the fact that he was, you know, a vet. I think after, what was the last time he made the playoffs? Maybe like a while ago. Uh, when they had Dwight Howard, maybe after that, you know, you kind of saw him embrace uh, talking to younger players and mentoring younger players, and, and more specifically, um, what was so impressive to me was mentoring female athletes. I think some of the biggest athletes today talk about, you know, the relationships they had with Kobe Bryant. Uh, Sabrina Ionescu was very close to him. Naomi Osaka, she's one of my favorites. Um, you know, she is given the bunch of Kobe quotes she's always wearing his jersey stuff like that so I just I thought it was incredible how he transformed from this like everyone looked at him as this he's a killer on the court and then he was able to portray his personality and his views outside of the court and was so um, adamant about supporting women's sports Um, that's something that I try to do as much as I can I take a lot of pride in it Um, I love seeing women in positions of leadership and power so I think, uh, yeah, more than anything, I just think I saw a little bit of a parallel in how we thought about how our platform should be used. And and how did his death affect you? Uh, it was tough. Um, I actually, it was, I think it was, it was a Sunday morning. We were on the field practicing and somebody came out and, and said, like, oh, Kobe died. And I didn't believe it. Um, I think I walked over to Coach Alvarez and asked him because, He's a Lakers fan as well, and, you know, I've known him for a while. And he, he cried out his phone. He looked it up, and it was – like, I cried all the way through practice, like, on the field. We had a long practice that day, too, and I was crying the whole time, um, you know, trying to hold it in a little bit. And then I, I think I went home, called my dad, and just, you know, we were just on the phone for hours crying. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's still 
it still doesn't feel real to be mm-hmm. completely honest um that somebody you know because i kind of saw kobe as somebody who could he had this way of just willing everything around him to fall into place like that's that's just how i saw his work ethic play out he just willed it to happen by working and working and working so it was just kind of like somebody like that you know there's no way that this could happen to him or there's no way that of all people kobe didn't survive obviously you know then you think about vanessa and his family and his other daughters and you know it's just heartbreaking it really is yeah 2020 obviously was a very rough year um in in all manners and you know i think the kobe bryant news kind of you know started that that downward trend for the entire year unfortunately but one of the reasons why I wanted to have JT on the show is because we had actually talked last year um, during the season before things had got, you know, before the pandemic struck and everything. He, you you wrote your different names on your, your wrist tape each game. Um, and it were, there were different people that you were putting on there. And you can you talk a little bit about that and, and why you decided to do that? Uh, you, you know, the one, the one day when I saw you, you had Emmett Till written on there. What were, was your uh, motivation behind doing that? Yes, you know, going back to my platform and, and how I want to use it and how I saw Kobe using it, I just see, you know, there's not a lot of 18 to 23-year-olds who get the opportunity to be seen, um, whether it's on television or social media, kind of the way that a USC athlete does. So, yeah, last year, uh, every game I wrote a different name of a victim of social injustice on my wrist. And, uh, you know, I just wanted, I just wanted people to know that, um, like I'm on the field, I'm playing, but you know, that, you know, my mind is, you know, when I'm playing, obviously my mind is in the game, but it's, it's also in a spot where I I want people to know that, you know, I'm thinking about the issues that are going on. I'm doing my best to educate myself. I'm doing my best to, you know, just shine a light on, on the things that need change in this country. And I think the last, (laughs) <laughs> a lot of years I'll say uh, for a really long time there's just been so many things that that need to change and you know I don't have I don't have the voice that LeBron James does but I do have one and that was just like a, a little way that I thought you know was kind of a nice way to, to show you know the black community that I'm, I'm doing my best to try and make things right and then this year this year I've been writing just names of women that inspire me specifically black women. Uh, I think that, you know, we need to do a better job of giving black women the, the platform to lead. So that's what I've been doing this year. This was something you were doing before uh, the social justice uh, names that you were writing on there was before everything happened in 2020. What did you kind of learn from all the unrest that was surrounding social justice in 2020 with, with all the different police brutality scenes and, you know, the protests and everything that, that took place last year and continues? I mean, it's not anything that's, that's stopped uh, taking place just because the, the calendar year flipped over. But, you know, what did you learn from everything that went on during the pandemic, uh, you know, after the season was canceled? Well, I mean, you hear it, it was really two pandemics. Obviously, there there was covid and then there was racism or there always has been racism it still is um what did i learn i think i think i spent a lot of it trying to find more effective ways to inspire or create change i think one of the most telling things was 
after the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, you know, the leagues, the the W and the NBA, they shut down Mm -hmm. and they were able to, I forget the exact things they, they did, but they were able to create tangible change that night. I know they, they got on the phone with President Obama and they, they pulled out a list of, I think it was three or four action items, uh, and they got it done. So I think I, I try to spend time learning the best ways to apply pressure mm. to create change. And, you know, there, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer, but, you know, we see all these things. And so I understand that, you know, writing the names of, of victims of police brutality on my tape doesn't actually change anything. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, thinking of that community and, and the, the issues that they face, well, I'll never be able to understand it, but I'm still thinking of them. So I, I just try to learn better ways to apply pressure to the right people to create tangible changes. And one of them uh, this year, actually, something that I'm really proud of is the every year the USC student athletes are given a backpack. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of signify around campus that you are a student athlete. And I was actually asked to do a design for it this year. So myself, Anna Cockrell on the women's track and field team, and then Candace Denny on the women's indoor volleyball team, three of us created a design together um, that was a you know Black Lives Matter themed, inclusivity themed uh, design. And you know that kind of helped the USC athletics department state where they stood on Black Lives Matter, on the movement, on social justice, everything that was going on. So I, I was really proud of that. Um, we put a lot of work into it and, you know, it got a lot of great feedback. Obviously, it got some negative feedback from certain crowds. But at the end of the day, it, it helped the university uh, publicly state where they stood on all the matters going on. Yeah, it was a, a Black Lives Matter USC backpack with the slogan, we fight on for each other, we fight on for equality. Uh, I really like the design on that one. Another another design that you help with, um, Jack Flaherty, who played at Harvard-Westlake with you, who's a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, he was actually very emotional after the Jacob Blake shooting as well. Uh, saw, I remember seeing a video clip of him there. But you helped design a T-shirt for him that, that featured a call to action to vote um, in you know, social justice and some other themes on there. Tell me about playing with Jack in high school and your relationship with him that he came to you knowing your background in design and asked you to help him out with the shirt. Yeah, so so Jack and I met when I was probably a freshman in high school. He was a junior at the time. We, you know, he, when he was a senior, um, I was the season was about to start and I was set to play third whenever he pit. And that was going to be my role. Um, and then both of our catchers, in the same weekend, actually, I think they both broke their handmade bone in this tournament in Vegas. So we didn't have a catcher, like none on the roster. I had never caught before. And Coach LaCour the next day came to me and he was like, we got nobody else. Like, we need <laughs> we need you to figure it out. And so I did. Uh, Jack worked with me. Uh, we actually, you know, we weren't as close at that point as we were afterwards. I think, you know, me and him are both, when we played, we were both pretty soft-spoken on the field. Neither of us say a lot. So, you know, we would actually go most of the day, even when I caught him, from pregame stuff to end the game, post-game, without really saying anything to each other. Um, and then afterwards, 
when he left, got drafted uh, off to the minor leagues, all that, that's when we became really, really close. Jax, I can't say enough about him. He's an incredible competitor. Um, he's done an amazing job speaking up on issues of social justice for a while now. Um, I think, you know, he, he's been really supportive of women's sports. Um, he's got some relationships some friendships with some WNBA players and like, he just speaks out and supports them. And so he's got his, his mantra. Don't think kind of like Russell Westbrook's why not, I guess like his personal mantra. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he wanted to do, he wanted to do some clothing with it. And I have, you know, background in design of, been working in it for a couple of years, really love it. And so, so Jack came to me, it was kind of a perfect match. Um, obviously we've been really close and, you know, I've been wanting to work with him and, and help him out in any way that I can. He's always been very supportive of me and the stuff that I'm working on. You know, he was very involved. He was part of the more than a vote team with uninterrupted. So he wanted to do a vote team shirt for don't think. And, you know, we met, we put it together. You know, I think it came out great. <laughs> Might be a little biased, but uh, I was really proud of what we did together. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to doing more stuff like that with him in the future because, you know, I think he, he has a really important voice in baseball. Baseball is not typically the sport that you think of, you know, people speak speaking out um, and activism. And, and I don't know what the reasoning for that is. I mean, maybe it's just the culture of the sport, but... You know, luckily you have guys like Jack, a young guy, 25, establishing his name as a big name, willing to speak out. And I think he's done an amazing job of it. And I think, you know, he'll continue to do that. So, I, you know, I look forward to, you know, things you'll see from him in the future. I know he's he's got a bunch of things planned for uh, Women's History Month right now. And mm. in terms of the, uh, the outfits that he's wearing at spring training, just stuff like that that you We've seen a ton of the WNBA has done an amazing job of, of activism. Uh, I think they're really the leaders. The NBA has followed, done mm -hmm. a great job as well. Um, and, and now I think with Jack and some young, some other younger guys, I think Amir Garrett is, you know, he's one that does a great job as well. Some of those guys will, you know, kind of turn, turn the, uh, the sport into being a lot better about activism and stuff like that. Do you see yourself doing more design stuff uh, towards you know activism related? Is that is that maybe what the future holds for you? What what do you where do you see uh, things kind of going for you? You know after your career at USC ends. Yeah, so you know I think it'll definitely go in the re direction of design. You know I think this this year is probably the last year that my the last year of baseball that my body has in it. Um, <laughs> Which, you, you know, I'm you, at peak. You're not as old as um, me yet now. Come on now. You're not as old right, as, as my I, boss, Ryan, I, either. So knees might be, though. My <laughs> knees might be that. But, you know, luckily early on at SC, you know, I spoke about it earlier, but the shift from wanting to be a big leaguer to, you know, something else, just design, like, I love it. Like, I go home after practice every day and just work on it. Uh, you know, no matter what time of the day, it's it's something that – I'm never too tired to do after practice or after class. It's just fun for me. It's an escape. Mm. As far as where I'll go with it, I'm I'm actually more interested in women's wear. Number one, women's wear is just more fun for me to design. I've, I've had experience in, in both men's and women's, and I've been working on a couple uh, dress designs specifically. 
you know, so I'll probably start off doing more women's wear than men's under my own kind of name brand. I haven't really launched it yet. I've only had two designs that were actually for sale. One was the one was the Don't Think shirt, and then I did another shirt commemorating the Lakers and Dodgers, mm-hmm. both winning the title in the same year. Uh, we actually released the shirt back in August, and then it came true in October. Um, I was able to give the shirt to LeBron and Anthony Davis, nice. and then LeBron ended up yeah LeBron ended up wearing it to um, Tyrese Maxey and Anthony Edwards pro day the club sports pro day at, at mama sports academy so he wore it out in public and obviously it kind of you know blew up a little bit after that and that was fun but i'm more into the kind of the technical pattern making cut and sew hands-on stuff and like i said i really like women's where i think it's more fun and you know like i said earlier i believe in you know women in positions of power and leadership so i think it's just kind of a natural fit for me to go into that and women's wear, there's a, a, a seems to be more options as well. You know, it gives you a little bit of more uh, of a larger canvas. I feel like. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's definitely it's definitely more um, more fun to just to just create overall for me at least. Well, should be interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll be seeing you on Rodeo Drive when you get your store out there in, in a decade or so. Uh, you know, JT, thanks so much for joining us. You know, looking forward to seeing how the Trojans do the rest of the year, but definitely wanted to have you on to talk about some stuff outside of baseball, you know, when you're not in between the lines. You know, hoping that you guys do well the rest of the season as well between the lines. But, you know, great to hear from a USC athlete and, and what you go through the process of your four to now five years at USC and, and how you've kind of grown as a person as well as a baseball player. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks to fifth-year senior John Thomas for jumping on with us to talk about life between and outside the white lines and how his time at USC has really provided him with a different perspective. Like I said earlier, I think JT is a really interesting and thoughtful young man. He's a great example of the depth of character and personality that some USC student-athletes have. So hopefully we were able to spotlight that just a little bit since we don't always get to hear everyone's story. John and the Trojans will be back in action this weekend, taking part in the annual tournament that was previously known as the Dodgertown Classic. Normally, the tournament has some big-name programs that come into town to play USC and UCLA before the Crosstown rivals square off with one another at Dodger Stadium on Sunday. Last year in the tournament, USC beat a pair of top 25 teams, including defending national champion Vanderbilt, in what proved to be the final week of the season. This season, there have been some amendments because, hey, welcome to COVID and everything else that goes along with it. There again won't be a game at Dodger Stadium, and because of travel restrictions for many programs, you know the, the schedule had to be switched a little bit, so it'll be local competitors, Pepperdine and Cal State Fullerton that USC and UCLA will face on Friday and Saturday before the Trojans and Bruins meet on Sunday at UCLA's Jackie Robinson Stadium. And though it's only one game, the Bruins will be a good barometer for the Trojans. They entered the season as the Pac-12 favorite, and they were preseason number two. They'll have a future MLB draft pick, Nick Nestrini, on the mound. He's been very good this season. I saw him a couple weeks ago. He struck out 18 batters in 12.1 innings so already, and he took a no-hitter into the fifth inning last weekend. USC is expected to have talented but inexperienced lefty Alex Cornwell on the mound for, for the Trojans. It'll be a big matchup for them to see where they're at against a very talented team that, that also got a lot more fall practice in than the Trojans did. So it should be a fun weekend in Westwood as the basketball teams will also face off on Saturday. So we'll see how it goes for the Trojans when they try to take over Westwood this weekend. 
But that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Hurry on the Sidelines podcast, part of the Peristyle podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thanks again to John Thomas and to all of you for listening. We hope you'll be back to join us for the next episode of the Hurry on the Sidelines podcast. Peace out. Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.